The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 till 11. Councillor Anthony Aitken, who is a Windermere Ward councillor, and finding out um, about what's been happening in the north. He's on the line now. Councillor Aitken, thank you very much for being on the program. Good, good morning, Mitchell, and good morning, listeners. How, how are you? Yeah, good. Thank you. It's good to have you on the program once again. How are things going in this uh, term of council for you? Yeah, look, um, very busy time. And, of course, COVID has actually added another layer over that busyness for us all in the city of Greater Geelong. So, first of all, the big issue that everyone's talking about, it would seem, we spoke to John Aaron about this yesterday, is the vaccination situation in the north of Geelong. Some concerns, the figures, the rates of vaccination are lower than in other parts of Geelong, which has done quite well. Um, why do you think that is? Look, it's actually getting better, so I'm encouraged um, what's happened over the last couple of weeks, but, you, but the figures um, tell a compelling story that there is lower vaccination rates in our north. Um, just today... Today's stats are um, 95% of Greater Geelong is one dose and the northern suburbs is still sitting at 80%. So there's a 15% variance. And in terms of second doses, we're at 50% in the north and the rest of Geelong is at 75%. So there's a 25% variance. And look, um, Mitchell, the clear message is that I'm hearing from the community in the north when asking this question is... It's about communication barriers, so English not being the first language. Um, it's about access to um, vaccination um, facilities, either your GP or to the Barwon Health um, Ford Hub. And um, and I, this would shock a number of your listeners, but some people in the north still don't realise that the vaccination program is actually free. Mm. And... Um, so we're working on all of those things and um, I was really pleased on the weekend that Barwon Health had a pop-up at Goldsworthy Reserve uh, at um, Northern Bay Secondary College and um, they did about 350 people and the majority of them were from non-English speaking background and um, while I was there, it was actually families going in together and, um, and, uh, act- and getting vaccinated. And, and here's some other interesting stats for you as well too. Um, Mitchell is, I don't think people understand the um, diversity of client base and population base out in um, the northern suburbs. And an example of that is that our community out there, um, the latest census in 2016, the four highest non-Australian-born groups were Afghan, Myanmar, Thailand and Croatia. So, so, and um, those communities, uh, to give you an example, like the national average in a postcode is 0.2% of the population will be from Afghanistan. In our northern suburbs, in particular 3214, it's 1.6%. Um, and Thai is another example as well too. In a normal postcode in Australia, it's 0.3% of the population will be from Thailand. In my community out in the north, it represents 1.2% of the population. And um, Barwon Health are doing a fantastic job with Diversitat to get 
get to those communities now and actually have specific um, vaccination programs for them so we can try and have our aim is the northern suburbs should have exactly the same um, vaccination rates as the rest of Geelong, and we're getting there. Yeah, that's the concern, isn't it? If you've got clusters of unvaccinated people in close proximity and then things start to open up with the easing of restrictions and the virus starts to run rampant and you almost have a pandemic of the northern suburbs. So good to hear that there are steps being taken to resolve that. I know Devastat, the owner of this radio station, has been part of that, as you mentioned. Um, but it does appear that communication barriers with the um, cold communities that live there is a challenge. Correct. Look, look. some people at first thought it was um, um, vaccination hesitancy, but it's certainly not. It's actually about communicating um, in, a, in the native language of that person because we actually forget that most of those people are from non-English speaking backgrounds and our messages thus far. And I think we've got you now, Council. Sorry, I think you just dropped out for a second there. Yes, yeah, sorry about that. Someone, um, I don't know what happened there, but that's good. That, um, back again. So, uh, yeah, you're just saying that uh, issues with people from non-English speaking backgrounds and we are slowly but surely getting the message out there and it's not necessarily vaccine hesitancy, it's just information about accessing the vaccine and making sure, as you look, said, look, that it, it, people know that it's free. It is. Look, we're, we're, we're improving our communication... Oh, dear. <laughs> Do we have you now, Councillor? Uh, hopefully third time lucky. Fingers crossed. Come on, Telstra, pull pull through for us. Um, so, yeah, just to quickly close up on the vaccination thing, progress is being made, I think. Look, it definitely has, and um, and that's shown by the second dose and first dose um, that will catch up in the second dose, um, and um, we've now got to get to that core. There's about five to 8% of the population, which we now know it's um, it's about communication and it's about access to be able to get that additional um, numbers up to match the rest of Geelong. And I see there is free transport available, and I've actually seen you uh, involved with the people that are assisting with this community transport to actually help people drive to a vaccination hub. That's correct. Um, so that's um, been done in conjunction with volunteering Geelong and the City of Greater Geelong through funding with the federal government. Um, and um, all people need to do is if they ring volunteer in Geelong on 5221-1377 and check their eligibility and um, they will be able to um, be driven to the vaccination hub and also uh, obtain a booking as well too, which is very important because a lot of people are still finding difficulties to um, get bookings. Now, uh, talk to us about the Sport for All program. What is it? Well, look, this is, this is a beautiful project that I'm really proud of, um, Mitchell. Um, about some two and a half years ago, I was able to... I spoke at a forum in Melbourne, which um, Dylan Alcock also spoke at. And Dylan actually developed a program which is called Sport for All. Now, your listeners would know Dylan as our international um, tennis star that this year won each of the Grand Slams, a uh, Grand Slam Plus, uh, the an Olympic gold medal um, in um, wheelchair tennis. And um, Dylan actually, it changed his life by getting involved in sports. So he's received, he put an application to the federal government to actually um, look at a specialist program to try and make community and school sport accessible to all. And Geelong's one of the pilot um, 
um, program um, deliverers in Australia for that. And um, we're just starting to roll out that program now. So what it, what it does, we've employed two hosts, um, our Jess and Caitlin. Um, Jess is actually uh, legally blind and Caitlin has cystic fibrosis. And they actually work with the community sporting club to assist them to make their sporting club accessible for people with a, living with a disability and also give them advice and support that they need as well too and even encourage them if they need to to develop some um, um, specialist um, teams like we have in Geelong like at Belmont Dragons we have the intellectual disabled and disabled um, AFL team and we also have blind cricket in Geelong as well too and we'd love to see um, anybody that one in five people in Geelong have lived with a disability and our ambition is to make sure that every one of those people if they wish to participate in sport at a community club or sport at their school there's no barriers for them to be able to do that. And this program is attempting to address those barriers. And what are the key barriers that can be addressed quickly and easily? I suppose, what are the big things that hold people back? Well, most people actually look at someone's disability um, uh, instead of actually looking at their ability. And what uh, the program actually does is it, it actually asks the, the club to actually say, well, what if someone came to your club in a wheelchair? How could they participate in your sport? What if someone came to your um, club and they were blind? How could they participate in your sport? And one of the, when you live with a disability, the most important question you should do is ask the person, well, what they can do and what they would like to do. And once you get past that barrier, you actually find there's multiple roles and multiple ways that someone living with a disability can participate in a community club or their school. Their school. Now, talking about sport in the north, part of that is going to be the Northern Aquatic and Community Hub. Where are things at with that particular project? Yeah, look, we recently received publicity and formal notification that we were unsuccessful with our latest application for the federal government for additional funding. Council has fully funded the project, so it will still be going ahead, but it just means we'll be using additional borrowings now, about $10 million to deliver that project. The project is currently under tender at the present time, and a tender evaluation panel is looking at those tenderers. Um, a preferred tenderer is scheduled to be brought to the council in December and construction to start on the 1st of February next year. I'm very excited about this project and I'm um, looking forward to announcing of the preferred builder, Mitchell. Why do you think the federal government funding for that project was unsuccessful? And I suppose, how do you feel when you watch the major political parties, this happens on both sides, squabbling about a swimming pool in the Ballerine in Drysdale and whether it should be indoor and outdoor, and you can't get any money at all for this northern aquatic and community hub from the federal government? Well, look, we did get some money, so we can't say we got nothing. What we did get was um, roughly about $8.26 million from the federal government and 8.5 from the state. Um, that $8.26 million was actually a diversion from um, footpath roads and other community infrastructure towards that particular project. So we do have some money. Um, 
the reality is is that I think our political system's broken, Mitchell, um, and that is that um, if you're in a marginal seat, um, you will get cash thrown at you. If you live in a safe seat, uh, unfortunately you don't. And that's our political system that's broken. Um, it's not the fault of the individual um, politicians that are in those seats. It's actually um, that governments are one in swinging seats and marginal seats. They're not one in safe seats. Now, the Geelong Motoring and Industrial Museum, this used to be, I think, in Hamlin Heights, didn't it? Because we did an outside broadcast from there. That's right, Mitchell. It was at the Vines Road campus of Western yes. Heights Secondary College. It closed in December last year um, because the school needed to take back that campus for the expansion of um, and uh, student um, requirements. And it's been homeless ever since. And... Um, We've been working with um, that group to try to find them a new home and ideally a permanent home. We've introduced them to Peligra, the new owners of the old board site in the lane, and those discussions are continuing. And we're also looking at other sites as well too, um, council-owned and also um, private um, to see if we can find a future and permanent home for this um, um very important collection of Geelong's history, which is, uh, includes the Ford collection of vehicles, includes our International Harvester collection. It includes our James Harrison um, collection in terms of the commercial refrigeration um, that he invented, um, which transformed the world by creating ice and, um, and being able to create frozen products. And we need to commemorate that somewhere in Geelong. And uh, just finally, the Youth Council. How many iterations have you had of the Youth Council? It's been a few now, hasn't it? Yeah, look, we, we, we started off, um, this, this, this was the third um, cycle, um, and we're now entering into the fourth cycle of the Youth Council. It's now a 12-month civics program to introduce um, people between the ages of 12 and 17 in Geelong to, um, to mirror and influence the council group by being a youth council and they elect their own mayor and deputy mayor and we're currently calling for nominations again um, at this point of time uh, for anybody in the ages of 12 to 17 that lives in Geelong that would love to be a member of our um, youth council for 2022. How many nominations do you typically receive? From what I can understand, the council structure is that there's three councillors for each of the wards. So what's that? Uh, Twelve councillors. But how many nominations do you receive that you then have to whittle down? Yeah, we do. We actually have an election process because most of the, nearly all the wards have more nominees than um, than positions available. And um, I think last time we had about um, 50 people, uh, young people applied for the 12 roles. Mm. And I anticipate that uh, looking at the stats in the past, the numbers have been increasing each year. So the program's actually growing more support every year, Mitchell. So where do people go if they would like to nominate a young person to be involved or yeah, look, get the young person to nominate themselves? Yeah, look, the best, um, go to the geelongaustralia.com.au website and um, there's actually a link uh, to, on the front page to uh, identify uh, how you can actually nominate and, and um, submit your application to um, be considered for the role. And if there are more applicants than there are positions, we do go to an election in each of the wards. And then who actually votes in that election? 
Yeah, we do. We actually... Our, but who, is, who actually casts use, the ballots? Yeah, you do. They cast the ballots. So what will happen is the, um, the youth services union each of the ward um, con- uh, contacts um, the local youth community that have nominated and they actually then have to um, become a candidate and then they have to actually um, go through a, uh, a voting process to determine who were the, the three preferred candidates from each of the wards. So they learn about the democratic process of election as well, too. This may be a question too far, but I'm just very interested. Is it the same preferential voting system that you go through? <laughs> um, it's not as complicated as that. And there, and, and there isn't a ticket that's run Mitchell. So um, um, it's, a, it's, it's a little bit more simpler than what we use for our, um, our, our formal council. That might be a good thing. Thank you so much for being on the program. Really appreciate it. That's a kind Mitchell. Thank you. Councillor Anthony Aitken with us there, Windermere Ward, Councillor at the City of Greater Geelong. The Mitchell's Front Page Podcast is brought to you by Geelong Bank. Listen live on 94.7 The Pulse, Mondays and Tuesdays from 9 to 11. Or search for Mitchell's Front Page on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or wherever you get your podcasts.